Welcome to Prestige, a podcast all about films, filmmaking and film theory. Each episode we pick a film, we review it, we talk about it and we discuss some of the ideas and themes it throws up. And as we always do, we're going to end each week with our recommendations of further reading or watching inspired by the film. Before we kick off with the episode proper, we would like to let them catch up on what else we've been watching. So Sam, what else have you been watching in the in the since in the week since our last recording? I've I've watched a couple of films. The one I'd like to talk about is a film that I wasn't expecting very much of. Um I only watched it because I was on a train, so didn't have anything else to do. And it was surprisingly good. It's the Keanu Reeves film, John Wick. And this has had uh, sequels come out recently. I have no desire to see the sequel. I shouldn't imagine there's anything worth seeing in it. But the original, as a standalone film, I think worked surprisingly well. Um, the The... Reasons I don't think the sequel will work are to do with it being quite self-contained and I'm sure the the producers thought they could make some money out of a sequel. That's why it's been franchised, but I thought it worked quite well as a I'm just going to come out of retirement to do this one thing uh, film on its own. So yeah, really quite good. Fair enough. I I, I would say it was... Almost a modern masterpiece, my personal view on that film. But uh, well, I I very much enjoyed it. Fair enough, fair enough. Mm. Fair enough. I actually this week I'm going to recommend a TV show that I've been enjoying. Mm. Um, it is the current adaptation of Neil Gaiman's book American Gods. Ah, is it good? It is. This is one of my favourite books of all time, and the TV show is, I would say, the right amount of faithful. So it isn't slavish and soulless like something like Watchmen is, um, but it isn't completely unlike it, like World War Z was. Mm. So this is it is the right connection. Almost all the casting I say so far is spot on. Uh, it has the right kind of air of weirdness, um, but also kind of uh, real world motion. So yes, yeah, so I'm about four four episodes in, and I'm really enjoying it. Right then, Rob, introduce our film for the week. Yes, yeah, so. The film of this week is the second part of the Nolanverse Batman world, The Dark Knight. You've changed things. Forever. There's no going back. See, to them, you're just a freak. Like me. The Dark Knight picks up a couple of years after the conclusion to Batman Begins. Batman has got most of the uh, underworld on the run. It's got certainly the mob uh, on the run. In addition to this, you've got the rise of a new district attorney, um, Harvey Dent. And the two sort of, the one two punch of a vigilante and a white knight crusader in the DA's office has got the mob scared, and in desperation, they turn to, as they put it, a man they don't entirely understand, the Joker. From there on out, it is in many ways standard superhero affair that you've got a antagonist in um, the Joker, an increasingly chaotic and crazed antagonist, um, and an increasingly desperate 
Batman and the forces of good against him. Sam, now you you were a, a strong proponent of of the first film. Yeah. How do you feel about the second one? I have very mixed emotions about this film. Um, it was, although it's not particularly appropriate viewing, it's one of the first times that my wife to be and I went out to the cinema together. Um, it, it's not to be remembered as a date night film, certainly. Um, but for reasons like that, it has sentimental. I have a sentimental attachment to it. Um, I struggle with it because it has so many great set pieces. And visually, I think it's really impressive at times. And I think some of the acting from Heath Ledger is incredible. And I think because of all those things, because of the fact that I associate this film with certain events, I kind of forget about the rest of the film, which is far too long and really quite badly paced and dull. So I was not... I was unpleasantly surprised watching it again because I have such good memories of this film and think, oh yeah, brilliant, it's a masterpiece, great. And then I watched it again and actually know it's quite baggy and annoying and even if I hadn't um, been sort of, I I suppose, sort of on on the lookout for certain flaws in it after speaking to you about Batman Begins last week, it was still not great. Um, So I'm sorry you expected me to come out in in a staunch defence of it, um, but it ain't going to happen. Heath Ledger, however, is absolutely incredible, and I love that aspect of it. Interesting that we appear once again to be polar opposites. Uh, Not polar opposites, but slightly different here. Now, I certainly enjoyed this film a lot more than the first one. Right. Um, Having seen this one, I did comment to um, my wife... I have no idea why the first film exists, given what this film... I mean, all joking aside, this film gives you all the introduction you need. There's, mm. like, in the same way that, that, that you know, the uh, Phantom Menace is completely unnecessary for the, for, for the next two films to work, mm. Batman Begins is completely unnecessary for this film. This film works much better by itself. I would agree it's about 40 minutes too long, um, and I think that... It suffers from some of the issues of the first one. I think it's still Dow. I think it's joyless. I think the Christian Bale can't act. I think they overuse the Joker. I think the Joker was is far better as this kind of I don't know this force of nature of, of chaos circling around them rather than what he becomes, which is like a, I suppose a a, a verbal back and forth with Batman. Um, and I think that the the ending is is pat and crap to be honest. Mm. Um, it makes very little sense uh, so I enjoyed it more than the first one and I think as you say the set pieces and some of the visual moments are outstanding um, but I still find it I find it still a bit soulless but certainly better than the first film yeah I, I, I would agree with you I do I do prefer this to the first one but I I was I thought in in my head, I preferred this head and shoulders to the first one because this was one of my favourite films. And going back to it, it's really not one of my favourite films. I 
don't understand large parts of it. Um, don't understand why I would like large parts of it. Mm. Um, I do think I agree with you. Sort of in in terms of the Joker as a character, he gets overused. Um, but I do think that, and I I wonder how much that was a decision made on the fly when the directors saw just what a magnetic screen presence Heath Ledger was mm. and how much they thought, well, this is great, let's just do more of this. I, 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 see, I, 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 can, I can totally believe that. I think that it became his show. We've discussed in every film so far how the bad guys are launching the Batman. And I think that's nowhere, that's written larger nowhere than in this film. Mm. And but I I think it's one of those things is to the detriment of the film. Like I have no interest in the Joker and Batman sitting down having a ma- battle of wills in a um in a police cell. Like I I want my Joker to be this agent of chaos, this agent of you know of thwarting Batman's attempts at other things. Um, you know I think that they just overuse him and he becomes this kind of omniscient, omnipotent character, which is what he isn't. Mm. Um, and I think that, 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 that he was certainly overused in that respect. I think, and it's something that we hinted at last week, that um, some of the ways in which the Joker is so impressive as a character, not in this film, not in this incarnation, but are in the sort of the almost mental duels with Batman that have nothing to do with the fist fights. And so when you get them basically fighting in a jail cell although actually Heath Ledger doesn't doesn't um, doesn't react violently and I think that that's quite a good thing but when you have them effectively in 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 a fist fight it doesn't really work mm. because the part of what makes the Joker brilliant as a character is the way that he can he can trip Batman up me- metaphorically but I suppose that that goes back to what you were saying about Jim Carrey before. Um, is it Carrey or Carrey? Anyway, him. Carrey. Right. Um, is what you were saying about Jim Carrey before. The, the way that he portrays the Riddler is interesting, particularly interesting because what the Riddler does is outsmart Batman and it's a totally mental thing. And I think that's what... In, in places in the places where this film is most effective, that is why Heath Ledger works as a presence because he is not a physical and I don't know how how big Heath Ledger was, but that is not how he, he is prote- portrayed on screen. He's not this this big hulking opponent to Batman. He is sort of slight and wily and can outthink Batman mm. in certain respects. Now, uh, there's one thing I want to, and, and this is, I suppose, if as we often, we often look for a theme with our discussion around around movies, um, and the one that I came to occasionally in this one was the idea of chaos. Is what I've got written down as well. Yes, but I, I may be about to poo-poo on that a little bit because uh, it was all the way through the watching the film. It's what I was trying to think, and it's quite. It felt like what they were trying to tell me he was. He is. He's chaos in a. In an ordered world, you know, even in the world he talk, he himself talks about, you know, the old world in which, you know, there are rules that the mob did this and the um, and that pleaded that and that, 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 that there was order to it, and he's chaos. 
I don't think that's true. I think he is just a better planner. He, his his, yes. his actions aren't chaotic. He, he isn't chaotic. He has plans within plans within plans. Everything is planned. What he is, is lawlessness. Exactly. And when, when he says, when he says to Dent... Mm. I I couldn't have done it any bit. I don't have a plan. I was just in a jail cell. You know that that's not true because he obviously planned it all out. He planned it out to the extent that he had his henchmen perform surgery on a man to insert a telecommunication device to set up a bomb inside his own stomach. Mm. I mean, that is a sign of a proper criminal mastermind who has planned everything. And yet he says, he says to Harvey, I'm just a dog chasing a car. He's not. He's really not. Exactly. And he's like, you may not understand his end game and he may not have a clear end game in the way that someone like, I don't know, Ra's al Ghul had an end game, but he has a plan and it may be plans and plans and fallback plans and all that kind of stuff. But you can't, if you, if you, you got to look at him, everything he did, everything he did was a plan. It was all planned. It was meticulously planned but planned nonetheless but i think this is what the film is trying to get at is it's not chaos it's lawlessness and the breakdown of order because in the first film you do like there's an equilibrium to gotham it's a corrupt one but there's an equilibrium to it. and batman upsets that batman turns up and doesn't play by the rules of gotham he doesn't play by the rules of the cops, doesn't play by the rules of the mob. He upsets that. And this is the, the counterbalance to that, that we're starting to find this new balance. A new balance that includes Batman, um, and, and, and Gotham finds this kind of new sort of order, and this new set of rules, and things work in a certain way, and people understand how that works. And he is the reaction to that, and the idea that all these rules we set up for ourselves, all the laws of they don't mean anything when someone doesn't care about them. Well, he doesn't care about money, as he shows, and he doesn't care about friends or family, or even his own safety, as it's when he's place checking with the bike. He, that he, He's freed in many ways. And this, I'm sure we've touched on this in a previous film, but I can't remember one. But the idea is that by... by, by giving up on the law of the land and the even the natural social order of the land he's made powerful if you see what i'm saying mm, yes yeah and you have a moment like his um i think when when he phones in the tv station when um, that employee has gone on, gone on record, or gone on TV to go on record about Batman, and you have, I mean, that comes at a moment after he's just set all the money on fire, and you think, well, actually, what this about, what this is about, is setting another plan in motion, and it is about disrupting the social order and disrupting the laws, but he definitely has plans all the way mm. through so this idea that he's chaos i think is like it felt like he was trying to say that to me but i don't think it's thing. and i mean this ties back to what i was saying last week about nolan my problem with nolan at times he's trying very hard to say one thing or mm. do one thing but isn't backed up by the narrative yeah um and the, the, he's that's what i think they're trying to get at here and and it is, it is like he joker disrupts 
all different sort of aspects of their world, and that's why what he is is, is lawlessness, and that's the phrase that. Basically, for the first hour and a half of this film, I was thinking chaos. Chaos is a theme here. And so I started thinking about it. No, 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 it's not, it's not chaos. It's not chaos. Yes. Um, but I, I, I will echo what you're saying. I think that he's very good as the Joker, and it is sad that the, as an act, he started transitioning into more darker roles, um, and we never got to see where this, where it went, shall we say. Yeah. I've noticed the egg. Uh, conversation you had on Twitter or something you mentioned on Twitter about Johnny Depp just doing nothing successful with his career in the past 15 years and you think well wouldn't it have been great if Heath Ledger had lived and he'd had the opportunities that Johnny Depp has had Mm. because Johnny Depp has done nothing with them well yeah in my head Johnny Depp and uh, Tim Burton sit in the same boxes that somehow I just missed out on the bit where people care about them yeah. I don't, you know, the cultural relevance has passed, and you know, a new Johnny Depp film actively turns me off. I'm like, oh, I don't see that. Mm. I just don't. And it's, it's. I don't know. I, I mean, this is a bit of a diversion from what we're talking about, but I can't think of another actor where I'm like, I just, you're in it. I don't want to see it. Mm. You know, even people who are, you know, on the, the crazy bad scale, like Nick Cage. Like, you know what? Nick Cage occasionally puts out a really interesting movie. Yeah, and kind of, I, I I suppose it's a little bit nostalgic about watching mid-90s action films that actually I don't mind the fact that Nick Cage is horrible. Like, no. it's, it's just quite fun, because you, you think of Nick Cage, you think of you think Con Air, or yeah, is but, it Face-Off? Which one's he in? All of them. He's in, oh, right, okay. He's, 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 he's in Face-Off, he's in The Rock, he's in Con Air. Um, but he, even in those films, he's making interesting choices in those films, and like mm. he can make some terrible, I mean, some really bad films he's made. Um, but he doesn't turn me off in the same way that I'm like, you know, I just if it's got Drew Depp in it, I just don't want to see it, uh, you know. And we talked a few weeks ago about Fantastic Beasts, where to find them. Like the biggest disappointment for me of that film is his involvement in it. Yeah, it's like what the hell are you doing in this film? Like you, you are the this is just wrong. Um, but he's as you say he's one of those characters. Actors, where like Hollywood doesn't get the message that no one cares. Like Scott Eastwood, do you know Scott Eastwood? No. Son of Clint. Oh right. Um, actor. He's all right. He's nothing special. He's got a part in the latest uh, Fast and the Furious. Um, but you really feel like Hollywood's trying to make it happen for Scott. Mm. They're trying, and it's just like he's just not. He's just not a current actor. And Depp is the same. And I think you're right. Like Heath Ledger clearly had a lot of charisma had a lot of um talent certainly we've seen from this and it's very sad to think what he could have done we didn't do that he was he was so young as well i looked mm-hmm. it up he was he died at 28 yeah and and that that joker performance feels like only you've you've mentioned him sort of turning to darker roles at that point in his career it feels like a change that an actor would make in his early 40s Mm. Having done sort of more accessible films in his twenties and thirties, maybe, but it's it's incredible that he'd already started on that arc at the age of twenty eight. Yeah, and you know, uh, uh, it was for a while me one of my recommendations, which was uh, Ten Things I Hate About You, which was certainly mm. his, his breakout role. Um, but he's brilliant in that; like, he is charismatic in that film. Mm. Um, and we we both, you know, um. Extol the virtues of Jason Gordon Levitt in previous episodes, and the idea of the two of them as the leads of a film, it, like it was brilliant. 
Mm. Um, he's normally gone on to do some darker work and more interesting work, certainly. And it, it is like you know, you're looking, you think that this is, this is the edge of greatness here mm-hmm. um, because it is a wonderful take on Joker. And I think like, that's why I think the long view on the film is it's pointing like they just overused him. He just yeah. came. He stopped being this fearful character. At the end, he just had a you know, fist of Batman, and it, 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 you lost that um, element. Mm. Um, but yeah. So yeah, that that, that was my view. But I, I think that uh, it was slightly better, but not great. Yeah. Well, do you have any recommendations of films that definitely are better? I do, but I went first last week and I stole one of yours. So I think I should pass it over to you to go first this time. Right. Okay. Um, I'm going to start. Well, we we've spent a long time exploring the virtues of Heath Ledger, and actually, I was was wavering. I thought maybe mentioning ten things I had to be. I've gone for something slightly later, but still, well, he had quite a short career. Still relatively early in his career. Um, a couple of years before um this film, it's the film Brokeback Mountain, which I thought he was very good at. And actually, I suppose there's a general link as well. Um, but I saw this film at the cinema when it came out, and I thought it was it was it was moving, and I really enjoyed the performances from both Jake Gyllenhaal and Heath Ledger, and I suppose it, it, it's, it's it's a surprising thing for someone at that stage of their career to already think about sort of emotionally complex maybe moving towards the darker side um, characters in terms of their film choices so it's a very good film my second film is another film was well, it's a film I saw recently um, it's another film with great set pieces but overall I just struggle with it a bit um, and it's over long. I mean, you mentioned Dark Knight is 40 minutes too long. I think that's generous. I think it's well over an hour too long. Um, and this film is also far too long, but there are certain moments that are visually incredible, and it's the latest James Bond film. I saw, as I said, I saw Spectre again recently, and I just thought, I can't think of any other film with such an amazing first five minutes that I've then thought, well, actually, this film isn't great. Mm. But it does have those moments of visual brilliance, and I I really enjoyed that um, shot that's following James Bond throughout um, the opening scenes in Mexico City. Brilliant. How about you? So I've got two films, and um, these are... uh, I would say the biggest two influences on this film, um, and I'd say both of them do it better. Uh, the first one I think is is the biggest influence on this film, and that's Michael Mann's 1995 film Heat. I felt this film was very much referencing that with the interaction with Batman and, and Joker, trying to reference the Pacino De Niro sit down. The action scenes owe a great depth to the action scenes of this film. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was very much Heat with superheroes. But I think he did it better. Um, so that's my first recommendation. Secondly, um, and this is a, 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 a long throwback, and this is a 1928 film called The Man Who Laughs. The Man Who Laughs isn't a hugely remarkable uh, film. It's based on a, Hugo, um, a Victor Hugo story. Um, and it's kind of like a, 
made by a German expressionist, but it did feature a very early character who, disfigured by surgery, has white skin and a rictus grin, and it is the inspiration for the look of the Joker. Uh, both creators of the Joker have gone on record as saying this was one of the big influences, certainly for the look of that. And if you look at the um, the uh, sort of uh, shots of Conrad Veidt as the um, as the character, it's very, very much the um, the the Joker. We'll put a link to it in the show notes because I think if you can find the um, and I, I will literally just send it to Sam now on the chat so he can see it. Um, it is very, very much where the Joker comes from, um, and it's this kind of I say this quite obscure twenties German expressionist horror film. It is unnerving. Looking, it, he looks so much like the Joker. Yeah, and this is where it comes from. Mm. Um, it is an unnerving film. It's a strange film, but it's quite a heartfelt film as well. Um, but it is one that say it is the, the visual in- inspiration for the Joker. Um, so yeah, those are my two heat. And the man who laughs. Great. Right then. Um, next week we are coming to the end of the Nonaverse and also the Batman franchise as a whole. And it's the sequel to The Dark Knight, the third in the trilogy, The Dark Knight Rises. It's yeah. almost over. Nearly, Rob. <laughs> um, until then, you can... Find us both on Twitter at Prestige Podcast. You can find just me or at just Rob me at Life underscore Academic. And we'll see you guys back here next week for the Dark Knight Rises. Prestige is a Kaiju Industries production. Check out their other work at facebook.com forward slash Kaiju Industries. Rawr. Arg.